Yes, there we go. The uh, the arrangement there is by uh, a Scottish singer named Dick Gawkin, uh, who is uh, just amazing, not only for his music, but by the, for the fact that he can actually play and sing that song at the same time, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, two weeks ago, Mary and I had the pleasure of uh, being away on vacation, and we got up to Halifax, Nova Scotia, which uh, which we flew into for our honeymoon uh, just over 16 years ago. So, Craig, when you've been married as long as I have, then you can understand. Uh, Nova Scotia, of course, means New Scotland. And uh, earlier this summer, Ann Jones read for us a sermon by the great uh, Canadian preacher Henry Aline, who adopted Nova Scotia as his turf. And not far from there, we... we uh, for a week, Mary and I, uh, we rented a car and just drove all over, and we'd stay a place for a night or two and then move on. So uh, we were driving up around here toward a, a, a winery, and going to a winery in Nova Scotia, I guess, is like getting lobsters in Sonoma. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but we, were, we were driving along in this you know, lovely sort of farmland, and as we turned a corner, we saw to our right two cows humping in the field. Now, unfortunately, this was in the days before uh, cell phone cameras, and so uh, by the time we got the camera out and wanted to capture this moment for posterity, the uh, the moment had passed. It, it lives on only in memory. But I was so excited about this. I felt as though the entire province was caught up in the joy of our union. <laughs> and so that scene was brought to mind for me a few years later in 2000 when the eminent group, the Bloodhound Gang, came out with their song, The Bad Touch, which has the chorus, you may remember, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> and I remember thinking as I heard that, well, not exactly, but there is a point there we shouldn't miss. No, we are not nothing but mammals, but we are mammals. We are mammals, and I think we get a little, a bit more literary treatment of this subject in, in the Robert Burns poem and an even better one in Song of Songs. If, if we, can we pull that, uh, the, the lyrics up again from that poem? Uh, we have this, this opening scene where, where he talks about, uh, he bring, raises the themes of the poem, he talks about the, the, the pleasant weather, he talks about the cute birdies, he talks about the, the uh, grain and, and the, uh, the fact that uh, the moon shines bright when he roves at night to muse upon his charmer. So this song uh, is about the joys of nature that he's experiencing, but one of those joys is, is his lover. And so uh, and then he does the, uh, the second uh, slide, I guess the clicker bit isn't working. There we go. The, uh, talks about a bunch of different birdies and where they like to hang out. And then, uh, in a sense, sort of the, the theme of the poem, the, the next slide at the beginning of the, uh, uh, of the next stanza, thus, every kind their pleasure find, the savage and the tender. And he's describing in this poem joys that pleasures that are both savage and tender. He's talking about pleasures 
of nature, talking about beauty, talking about things that are pleasing to the taste, pleasing to look at. But he's also talking about pleasures of cultivation. The field of grain doesn't get there unless there's a farmer who plans it, who cultivates it, who plants it, and who weeds it. And he also, and this may be the most nervous-making bit of it, he talks about pleasures of predation. We get these in the Song of Songs, too. In chapter 6, for example, and we've talked about this in previous weeks, but if you look in chapter 6, in verse 11, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley, to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Now, if you just looked at this verse in isolation, you might think that he was a botanist, perhaps a park ranger. But we know that this is a book of the Bible, one of 66 that God inspired, that is all about what? It's all about sex. And so, often when you read these lines, you could put, if you know what I mean, at the end of them, right? I went down to the grove of nut trees, if you know what I mean, to look at the new growth in the valley, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, it'd take you twice as long to read the thing, but you could pretty much do that after every line. This imagery is, is familiar. This is familiar in, in ancient Near Eastern love poetry. The nut, of course, from the outside has the appearance of part of the male genitals, and the inside, you split it open, and it looks like female genitals. I don't make this stuff up. I'm just telling you what's here. To see the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Again, the pomegranate is, is an image of, of sensual pleasure. And we get this beautiful picture of nature. And the author is giving that to us because he's likening the love he has for his beloved to that kind of an experience. We get this in chapter 7 where she says, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. And she says that right after May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. After he says, may your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples in your mouth, like the best wine. Oh, may the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. Wine, of course, is not something that grows naturally. You can't pluck a bottle of Chateau Petrus off of the tree. It's something that involves cultivation, cultivation of vineyards, the careful application of the winemaking skill and art. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. So come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. That might also mean let us spend the night in the, in the henna bushes. It's not entirely clear. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded if you know what I mean, if their blossoms have opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. She's probably not talking about a peck on the cheek. 
The mandrakes send out their fragrance. Mandrake, one of the oldest images of an aphrodisiac that we have. And our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. There's a sense that the, the enjoyment of sexual passion, sexual pleasure, is, is imaged, is pictured in the natural beauty and in cultivated beauty that they find around them. There's a, a sense in which that's one of the only ways they can express how they're feeling is by, by likening it to these pleasurable experiences, these beautiful things. But as in Robert Burns' poem, it's not just pleasures of nature, of cultivation. There are pleasures of predation going on here as well. If we look back in chapter 4, he says this is one of those lovely riffs on her beauty. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes Behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips, a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all them shields of warriors. Evidently, this was a compliment to her. Your breasts like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. All oh, beautiful you are, my darling. No flaw is in you. But then it starts getting a little dangerous. Come with me. From Lebanon, my bride, come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Senir, the summit of Hermon. Now these are places, some of which nowadays are in fact very dangerous. But these are places that are high, inaccessible, rocky. These are in fact where the lions have their dens. These are the mountain haunts of leopards, and we know that she's young because he says leopards, not cougars. But he is captivated by her. He wants to be preyed upon. He wants for her to possess him. There is something about her that is dangerous, that is not entirely safe. And he embraces this. He doesn't run away from it. He embraces both those domestic, comfortable pleasures and those that are decidedly not like that. Going through Burns' poem, I think, you have the question, is he preying on his dear Peggy? He'll gently walk, he'll sweetly talk till silent moon shine clearly. He'll grasp thy waist and fondly pressed. She's forcing him to declare his intentions. Swear how I love thee dearly. 
But this goes on in the context of a poem where he talks about the pleasures of nature, the pleasures of cultivation, but also the pleasures of predation because those cute little birdies, after all, don't just eat berries and whatever you put in the bird feeder. They eat anything smaller than them that they can get their beaks on, bugs and worms, rodents, small children. We have a cat. Allow me to illustrate we have a cat. I think we have a picture of Snowy. We have a, she's an outdoor cat, by the way, in case my allergist is listening. She's outdoors. She doesn't come in the house. This is Snowy. Snowy's cute. Snowy adopted us. Snowy gets uh, two solid meals a day and plenty of water from us. But Snowy is also a fearsome predator. Snowy will, from time to time, leave offerings for me in the form of moles, Mice, chipmunks, with their skulls crushed in those lovely, delicate jaws. She even, she even took out a blue jay once. The thing was almost as big as she was. Snowy is, of course, a domestic animal, right? She has been domesticated. But the thing with domestic animals is they're still what? Still animals. They've been domesticated. But they're still animals. I was reminded, I had lunch this, this week with a, a rabbi friend. And she reminded me as she was talking about how she teaches about the first chapter of Genesis. I was reminded, you know, the kind of thing you read something over and over and over and, and, and suddenly you, you catch something you had missed before. On the sixth day, God creates human beings, right? He says it's very good. But what does he also create on the sixth day? The animals. The birds and the fishies on the fifth, but the sixth day he creates both animals and human beings. So we ain't nothing but mammals, no, but we are mammals. We are animals. The Song of Songs, as we read it, provokes a visceral response in us. And by visceral response, we mean a response from the gut, not from the head. But there's something that responds deep within us. There's a sense in which this kind of poetry detours right around what C.S. Lewis called the watchful dragons of our mind bypasses the intellect and connects somehow to that deep vestigial wild aspect of ourselves that God also made in us. God made us in his image, but he made us as animals who are in his image. And I think the Western church especially has always struggled with the temptation to intellectualize the faith, to make what we believe about what we believe, to divorce that from the body, to divorce that from the daily in and out living of our faith. We are not always called to transcend that which is flesh, that which is of our carnal nature. We are often called to redeem that and to live that out in a way that's consistent with God's purposes. 
when we read this poem, when we read the Robert Burns poem, we hear it sung beautifully. We, we're caught up in the pleasures that are being described. We're caught up in that, that rejoicing in fertility. I remember back in college, one of my professors said, you know, all this Holy Grail stuff, I mean, the Monty Python was funny, but really the Grail stories are all about fertility. This is about something that is going to ensure that people survive in a day of food security. We often don't realize that it wasn't that long ago that people went to bed hungry, not just because they had done something naughty. All of this is to be delighted, and all of this is a good gift from God, and all of this, in a way, can connect to human sexuality. And I think the thing that we're reminded of by the Song of Songs, by the fact that it uses this kind of language over and over and over again, is that there is such a thing as being too domesticated. There is such a thing as getting too far away from our animal selves. There is a quality of sexuality that involves risk, that involves the willingness to be captured, the willingness to be had, to be possessed by your beloved. And please don't hear me dismiss the fact that there are people who have suffered injury, who have been abused because they were not treated with love and respect. I know that that's a reality and I don't want to dismiss it, but I do also want to say that if sex in your marriage is entirely routine, is entirely predictable, is entirely domesticated, then it is not a bad thing to be a bit more wild, to spice things up, to not need to be in control all the time course, there are plenty of inappropriate ways to do that, anything involving other people or pictures of other people or anything like that, anything involving physical harm, of course, wouldn't be part of what God would have for us. But, you know, I know Mary loves it when I dress up in a little French maid costume. I, I, I said I wasn't going to give that away. But. You know, and, and look, the, I mean, that may, may seem kind of silly when you think about it, and frank, but frankly, sex is kind of silly when you think about it. If you just step back for a moment and think about it intellectually, it's a really ridiculous-looking thing to do. It is absurd in itself. So the answer is to not think about it all the time. Don't just think about sex. Feel it. Give yourself over to it. We ain't nothing but mammals, but we are mammals. And the only negative portrayal of sexuality you get at all in the Song of Songs is in chapter 5, where you have this story where she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head's drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. He wants in. And she says, oh, I've taken off my robe. Do I have to put it on again? I, I washed my feet. Must I soil them again? This is the day of dirt floors. 
Well, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. And there's her visceral response. My heart began to pound for him. I was stirred up inside. So I finally arose to open for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I didn't find him. I called him, but he didn't answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. So daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Now, please don't take from this the idea that if you reject your spouse, you're then going to become the victim of police brutality. This is like so much in the Song of Songs has a almost a dreamlike quality. You have the writers moving from place to place, from scene to scene, situation to situation. It's not always clear who's speaking. But what you do have is a story of her offering a domesticated response to his advances. It's late. I'm tired. I've already got my comfy flannel nighty on. Really, do we have to do this? And so when she finally says, all right, then it's too late. And nobody's ever had anything like that kind of experience. But it is remarkable. This is the only negative portrayal of sexuality that we get in the whole song. And it's one that is spurred by an unwillingness to respond to the wild, unpredictable, almost ridiculous quality of human sexuality. But that's how God made it. That's how God made us. And we might, some of us, prefer that it strictly be a rational exercise. He didn't choose to do it that way. Somehow, the reality of our human sexuality is as beautiful as two cows humping by the side of the road in Nova Scotia. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that we have, among the very many types of brokenness in our lives and in our sexuality, we have sometimes the tendency to make what you've given us as something that is wild and unpredictable entirely domesticated and predictable. We thank you for poems like Robert Burns's. We thank you most of all for your word as you give it to us in the Song of Songs that reminds us that there is more to the life you've given us than simply what we can intellectually comprehend, what we can make sense of. There are some things that just aren't supposed to make sense, but that is by design. Give us the grace to enter into what you have given us, to embrace the world, ourselves, our sexuality, as you have given those things to us. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Seigneur, merci.